Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Broken Oars podcast. And this, and now I'm, of course, joined by my esteemed partner, Dr. Aaron Jackson. But this, with a slight break, this is going to be another one of our absolutely marvellous guests. And joining us, what is actually now quite late in the evening, is uh, Judith Packer, stalwart of Zumargo's umpire, British rowing umpire. So, you know, someone is really giving back to the rowing community. And um, Judith is joining us tonight to discuss rowing, the lockdown, and the wider sort of emotional and mental health issues that that's raised. Judith, welcome to the Broken Walls podcast. Thank you very much indeed, Lou and Aaron. Uh, a real pleasure to be on this session, actually. Real no, pleasure. It's a pleasure to have you here. We Obviously, we're, we're talking about some of the, the more recent events, but why don't you give us a little bit of a background of who you are and where you are in the sport okay so most recent past uh, in 2021 i was the umpire for the 75th women's boat race up in ely having had the previous race cancelled the week before really it was due and we all know what happened with the covid isolation and that was such a privilege to to do and prepare for but it was uh, together with Sarah Winkless, and I couldn't have wanted a better partner, umpiring partner to help prepare for that. But to do that was still in ice, relative isolation, as we all know. And um, a lot of things were going on in my life and at work. And then coming out of that uh, was like, OK, now what? Um, so that's my most recent past. But actually, I picked up an all for the first time. 38 years ago almost, when I started at, at college rowing, Oxford St Peter's College Rowing, no kit, nothing like that. I don't, didn't even know women rowed really. And so in between that time, I've been an average rower. There's no such thing. There's <laughs> no such thing as an average rower. I'm an average we grassroots are, rower. By definition, we are, we are all above average. We're all above because we get on the boat. We got, we got an, anybody that picks up a blade and goes on the water is a rower, right? And uh, had a, did a year at university and then um, picked it up again through an invitation when I was working. I've been involved in Newark Club and uh, Newark Rowing Club and other clubs in my time, um, in my 38 years of rowing with breaks. And I've tried different things. And then I think it was when I sat on the start line with, again, against young women who were half my age, it made me think, mm, is this for me anymore? And so how do, you, how do you keep involved in the sport that you love, but you really are not competitive anymore? And so from that point, it was either coaching or umpiring. And um, my husband and I said, OK, let's do some umpiring. And we got into that and that sort of has opened up lots of doors. I've traveled to lots of different places and whether it's Thames Ditch and Regatta umpiring junior 13 mixed cox quads, which was the best race of Thames Ditch and Regatta the other day, or international umpiring for Andy Triggs Hodge's final, a final at Lucerne. 
actually, it's been an amazing experience to keep involved in the sport. I, I want to talk about Ely as a venue right. for, oh, for the boat races. <laughs> yes. Um, did, did you enjoy it? Did you think it was a really good venue? You know, we made, we, as in the organisers, made it happen. I mean, it was great because it was it was a controlled environment. It was um, a long enough course to make it a decent head course for the winter. Um, it's different than the Tideway, the championship course, very different, but it happened. And, you know, when I think of those athletes who had their training curtailed because of the pandemic, it was like, we made it happen. There are other races that happen on the Ely course. I think in terms of spectators, the capacity for spectators is not as big. Um, so it comes with different challenges, but hey, you know, as as a venue for a regatta, it's great, great venue for a regatta. I, I thought it was brilliant. I love yeah. the fact that it was just, it was a straight drag. There was, there was none of well, those silly ooh. bends. Ah, but if you talk to, if you talk to, um, if you talk to some of the locals, they will tell you at this particular reed bed, you must know, don't get too close. Yeah. You know, I was being told this reed bed, that reed bed, there is a slight corner here. There's a slight outlet. I mean, you guess it, whenever we go to any events, any new different bits of river, we would look at the river, where are the hazards, what's the circulation pattern, that that becomes natural really. Um, so as a regatta venue, brilliant. That sounds like Dennis at Chester going, as you come around the big bend, <laughs> you'll see a bush, not that bush, not the one after it, not the third bush, but between the third and the second bush, behind that bush is another bush, that's where you need to be aiming and you kind of think that's a lot to be taking in at 36 strokes a minute. Well, precisely, but this is all part of um, understanding the environment in which you're operating, okay? And and yes. that's been the privilege of playing with my mind over this last year of Zumogos and thinking, which bit of river are we going to, right? We're going to um, Shrewsbury Regatta, okay, what does that look like? And the people that know their bit of river the best are the local rowers, actually, and so what's been brilliant doing the Zumogos is tapping into that local knowledge of anybody that's willing to talk to me about their bit of river. Some of which I've raced on, some of which I've umpired on, some of which I haven't umpired on, and that's been a brilliant thing. So, so you, you were, you, you know, obviously umpired one of the most prestigious rowing races in the world, um, the women's boat race, and then, then you have this moment of, right what's next and how how did what's next become this th these kind of adventures okay. that you you run on yeah, yeah so i came home because you know we're, no socializing no parties or anything um we point at the moment unless you work in number <laughs> 10 and then it's fine <laughs> no 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 but i mean um even stayed at our you know, we booked a separate place for accommodation. So you really isolated. And we went through all the COVID protocols in planning that aspect. Um, and it was really down to the experience of, of the other team of umpires uh, and the launch drivers and the massive organisation behind that that made it go so smoothly. 
uh, and what was a very a gr an amazing competitive race and and the BBC with their TV coverage amazing a drone drone boom camera still camera all of that amazing to then come back home and think right back to business as usual back to normal life and thinking I need to get fit okay how, <laughs> how do how do you get fit and I thought well the row machine's there I've watched lots of other people row. I really ought not to neglect it. And I honestly can say it took me, a, I discovered this thing, Zoomergos, thanks to a wonderful lady, girl on the river, Patricia Carswell, who had interviewed Sarah and myself. And she had this quote on her, her website, uh, how Zoomergos sort of saved my life or something. And I thought, this is really curious. So I read it and I thought, actually, this sounds great. It started in November. How on earth have I missed all of that? And it was, of course, because I was focusing on preparing for the boat race. So it took me about four weeks of booking in, not oversleeping, not you know missing missing the sessions. And each time I I managed a little bit more. Each time I did a bit more of a session. And as I say, about the end of the month was when I was starting to do a gentle, gentle my own my own rating, my own pressure. A full session and then one one morning i think it was a friday morning some one of the leaders wasn't able to come and and somebody texted me to say can you lead the session it's like yeah okay i was not awake this is what usually happens to me when you're unsuspected you say can you just um i swallowed a fly because it hadn't the ergo hadn't done so much <laughs> air waving in the corner of the conservatory and um you know it that broke my barrier really that really helped me and somehow speaking helped me row harder and i think it's because i used to steer quad or steer across four so that speaking and motivating people helped me unlock a bit of myself because when you when you have to make the calls in the in the bow seat um you're thinking about where you're steering and what's happening next and you're making maybe calls to improve what the what the crew's doing or things that you can see it actually takes it it takes you out of yourself and the actual yes. workload that, that, that you've got on but just to put this in in context um judith we're getting a sense of someone who's had essentially you know 38 years in rowing is a, a lifetime in rowing with everything that it entails which is you know the community the connection to other people the the fresh air the exercise the, even the move into umpiring is still keeping alive all of these things. What you've done is you, you like the rest of us, have run face first into COVID and lockdown and isolation, and that separated you from all of those yes, things. Yes, absolutely. So, so would it be fair to say that that by almost by chance, finding out about Zoom ergos was a chance for you to reconnect with that, and you and you needed it at that point. Oh, I de I definitely needed. I needed it physically. Um, and I had not appreciated the value and the benefits I personally have got over the years from being part of community until it was taken away. I, I, I can honestly say this. And, you, you know, we always say, don't let a good failure go to waste. Don't let this pandemic go to waste. And let's not go back to where we used to be. And so I'm saying to myself, I really value the things that I'm involved with. And I don't I think I value them a lot more than pre-COVID. 
And I notice things a lot more, the community, the mums on the banks. And this year's boat race, there was just before going, because I was just reserve umpire for the men's race. And you you get your all your kit ready and you wait for the launches. There was a little two-year-old with their grandparents by the railings. So I said hello with dinosaur suit or something it had on. And I thought, this is the first time this little body, I think it was going to be three in a few weeks' time. This is the first time this little person have ex- has experienced a boat race on the tideways. This first time. And that little person might remember all of this. And so it's like, this is really special. Um, so anyway, I sort of digress. But in a way, valuing what I'd normally do um, and realising that actually you know you need other people it's a very yeah it's a it's a personally driven sport isn't it you compete against yourself yes as well as other people but you do need community um and in doing these virtual rows the the sense of any local ecosystem built around the rowing club or built around a race um a race event is huge is huge and we don't maybe celebrate that enough Um, and and you and you like like us and by us i mean the rest of the rowers and and you know the one other person who's listening to this who very very kindly downloads it 300 times to make us look good um we all lost that and and we did it's not just the community it's the it's the routine of you know boathouse by 745 for hands on at 10 to or whatever it's all of those little things that help you structure your life when they are removed and and they were removed for all of us in the pandemic yes they have an impact. They have an impact on our physical health. They have a, an impact on our on our mental health. Definitely. As well. You know, going on holiday for a week is great. You know, being able to work from home for a week is great until it becomes weeks and weeks and weeks doing it. And then it becomes, it has a negative impact. I was, it was just the working from home thing. I, I was just thinking about it. It was, I really, really intensely disliked it. But, you know, it had to be said in the thick of working from home, I, it wasn't really the boat club. It wasn't going back to the boat club. It was, um, I'll get the words out in a second. It was race the Thames. And I got roped, I got roped into race the Thames by my old bowman in, um, in the double. And he said, come on, you, you, you can do this. You've been sort of like putting some scores down recently. You know, I still look back on that as kind of when I felt like personally, emotionally speaking, I was going to get through the whole thing. Yeah. So was that because you were part of a team or whether you whether there was it was long enough for if you have a bad day, it doesn't matter. Or was it because you were thinking, I'm going to row the length of the tents? Well, you know, what was what made that special for you, Lou? Very much being part of a team. So mm-hmm. essentially, we did put eight people together. We all compared our scores at the end of the day. Um, but it was also this sense that you were involved in kind of a, close to a thousand people doing this fundamentally very silly thing, which is like <laughs> rowing too hard every day for seven days in a row, getting absolutely you know, knackered. I'd hurt my back by the end of the week. But you see, at, in that, in that, there was a sense that we're all 
yeah, we're all in this together. You were connected and you didn't want to let anybody down, so you did it. And yeah. it, you had some flexibility about when you did it, I guess. And I had a similar experience. So by December last year, um, we'd done a number of these virtual rows. And Windermere got Jess Layden on to talk about Hollingworth Lake, which was wonderful. Um, and Just talk us through, when you say a virtual row, so you... Yes. you for the listener, you essentially took the race the Thames idea, which is rowing the length of the Thames. And I was part of Team Spitfire, a very, very small part who would do our updates on Twitter and things like that. And we've got to give a <laughs> shout out to, to Andy Hodge, who said we're going to bust, oh, yeah. we're going to bust lockdown by doing this. And I, I, as Lewin was was pulling his liver out in front of me, I would go, and he's 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 now past Radcote and he's going really well and he's got the sharp <laughs> left past the Kingfishers and all of that kind of stuff. <laughs> So you took that idea into your virtual rows. And if we if we've understand und, understood correctly, on your Zoom ergos, you're not just, you know, looking at a split and pounding out your meters. Oh, I'm definitely not looking you're, at a split. You're going down a river. You're, <laughs> Absolutely. You're, you're describing going down a river. Well, I would say by this stage, I had acquired a wonderful paddling partner because in the September when we, after the summer holidays in the September, I thought, where would I normally go? And this was the, this was the phrase that kept with me. Somebody said to me, "Do what you'd normally do." And I thought, well, normally September, Lake District is a lovely place. I wonder what the Lake District. So I looked at Windermere Rowing Club. I thought, then let's do some lakes. So Windermere, Bullbridge, Hollingworth Lake, and then um, I knew Di Binley, who was part of Ardingly Rowing Club. So I said, Di, can talk about Ardingly. I've been there. I did my level two coaching award many years ago there. Can you talk about it? Yes, that's fine. And so with her help, so either throughout, I did a bit of desktop research about Windermere, talked to Jess about Honeywood Lake. I'd um, I'd rode at Buell Bridge before, um, but Ardingly I didn't really know much about. And Di brought Ardingly to life. And some of them are recorded. And then I said, okay, Di, where should we go next? And so we we just said, which bit of river do we fancy narrating, researching about? And then it was about uh, November. We thought, oh, let's do the Thames. I think I was, I did a remembrance row because I used to be chief umpire for the Fours Head. And I thought, I know that pretty well. And I can describe the marshalling as part of a warm up. And then I can describe the pushes as a, that's easy. And then um, at Christmas, um, I knew Andy Trigg Sodger was going to plan to do the race the Thames. And by this stage, I got into this rhythm of a Wednesday morning. And um, so I did a shout out on the one of the Zumergo sessions. I said, anybody else sort of fancy doing part being making a crew up for this race the Thames next year? Anyway, over Christmas, Andy persuaded me to just put the entry in, didn't have any names, put the entry in. I even put it in as a mixed eight because I thought well may not get anyway by January I had 10 of us 10 girls Brilliant. 10 ladies and of that um so we had eight rowers one who eventually subbed out because she was ill but somebody else subbed in so I had eight rowers Hannah Vines from Dorney Boat Club that joined us on her bike she was my honorary coach Di was our my honorary team manager uh, who did amazingly to help us fundraise, and um, and then Jenny, who has only ever done erging, her her son Rose, uh, she was our other supporter. So it was a lovely virtual community crew, and we said we thought, can we raise four hundred quid? We thought, oh, well, maybe we'll have to work hard at that. Well, we ended up 
having adopted, uh, we thought, well, we need to adopt a charity. So Boat of Hope, it was something I discovered then. So we're going to talk about that a bit later. But we, we thought, let's commit to this Boat of Hope. And so this mix-up crew of women that never met, we still haven't all met, one of whom was blind, uh, one of whom can only row with her upper body, all one a coastal, um, one a gig. You know, we did it. And I uh, and um, Kath Lindgren, who's just done this 12-hour rowathon, was one of the team. She had to email me her scores because she couldn't see to enter them. And so it's like I saw the scores that these girls were doing. I thought, I'm just doing 5K a day. That's about all I can do. Um, but that was amazing. And that commitment that you were sh sharing about. And for that, we did a five-part series from the R River Thames Sea to Source. And the reason for that is life's a little bit like rowing uphill sometimes. And then we did a special one uh, with four 15 minutes as a team building thing on the last day. And that should be recorded on Zoom Megas as well. So if people want to know what it what madness we were up to um they can record but we do some research so if we were passing Sheerness or passing uh, the London Eye or HMS Belfast or House of Parliament we talk a little bit about we noticed and that helped the time go just yeah so if you if you could you could shut your eyes and and that and you know Jenny you would say oh that was a history geography lesson bit of exercise bit of team building all in one so Really, that's what can be going. <laughs> I mean, that was exactly the same for me. It was, it was this, there was a sense of purpose. I mean, it, it was mm. just for a week, but, you know, we were desperately trying to beat Sheffield. Um, and how did you do? Did you feel, whatever you did, did, I mean, you had that little bit of competition online then. Yeah, I mean, sort of, okay, I'm, I'm overly motivated by competition. Um, <laughs> you know, I... <laughs> Aaron, stop it. Um, and and so th there was that, but it was also just you didn't have to be serious about it. You mm. could just have fun. Did you follow the map tracker? Did you yes. follow your little yeah, dot going along? Absolutely, that that interface is brilliant. I and love that. Um, and and with, if I told you that I actually said to the girls, look. We need to eke this out a little bit because we all, some of you doing long distances will finish before it's finished, so to speak. So we we ended up carrying on, actually. And when we worked out, we would have got all the way around the south coast, drop um, uh, Lucy Hart, who's um, team manager for the Coastals, um, that's happening soon, and uh, drop her off at Christchurch and then drop... Um, another lady off at um, Bridport. So, so yeah, we that that really captivated us because we're already in the zone of using our minds to visualise ourselves in a different place, and it was a great way of saying, "Oh, your entry's just taken us from, um, uh, let's say, House of Parliament up to HMS Belfast, for example." Yeah. Um, but doing that. Um, uh, we learned also a bit more about the boat of hope. And if I can just say that really resonated with me, the boat of hope is 
um, about raising the conversation of children's mental health um, and as well as raising money for love rowing and the Samaritans the the important thing was to try and break the stigma of talking about mental health per se and that was basically I was trying to use my mind we all were trying to overcome the whole busting the lockdown um, in our own little way um, and in the wider world you know a lot of people of all different ages were struggling so it, it was very appropriate it was very motivating for us to do was, that was that a realization i think you know looking at the figures of the the, the rise in reported mental health issues over the you know what have essentially been the two years of the pandemic so i think we probably have all either been touched by um you know our mental health in terms of being more aware of it or we know someone who's had issues or we've had issues ourselves was your individual awareness that you you'd lost your community and in some in some ways your routine and your sense of purpose as you started doing these zoom ergos which helped to bring those those connections back you were becoming more aware that actually there's a there's a widespread problem here and oh, it, and, and it's across <laughs> it's across all age groups from the boat of hope which is obviously you know, Bernie Hollywoods, which I'd, I'd like you to talk about, you know, mm, um, briefly, mm. all the way through, um, it's it's in every age category now. It is. And I think um, if I remember when I was a young engineer um, going through, the the conversations, if you were not feeling so good or underport or emotional or whatever, you were told, well, pull your socks up, you know, um, or, well, if you can't stand the heat, love, get out of the shop floor those were the sort of attitudes frankly it's thank goodness it's not like that anymore but they're generally but it's going to take a long time to change um but yes i think my sphere of operation went from being in an office environment to spending a lot more time at home a lot more time in my village none of us could go to our rowing clubs for a long time i'd not really i'm well, I'm a life member of Staines, but you know they were doing a building project and I've not really been out on the water a lot because that happens at the weekends and normally I'm umpiring. But yes, so my community shifted to my village and our village suffered a suicide. And uh, one of my sort of lady friends, and that was firsthand devastating. Um, and it triggered... Uh, memories of people that I had known who had either suffered a suicide in my past that I'd forgotten about. And I thought, hang on a minute. Yes, it challenged me to say, why is this acceptable? Why, you know, when we say for any rowing event or any engineering project, safety is our top priority, we really are talking about our physical safety. But actually, our mental safety, our emotional safety is just as important, if not more powerful, frankly. And, and so um, that really triggered something. And I'm not an expert. And pff, there's better people to help deal with that. But it really challenged me of, OK, what can I do? You know, what can each of us do individually, whether it's having that coffee chat whether it's texting somebody within our own little sphere 
yes, there's there's the mental health services, there's the national health services, there's specialist people, and that there's a whole load of research going on with that. And there's specialists for that. But actually the challenge for me was, okay, how can I do my little bit? How can my behavior help provoke a positive mental environment? Um, and, and maybe where are my needs and what can I do to help my needs? So it was a twofold thing. It was a two-sided thing. Can I just put that in context? Um, Absolutely. So, so you're, your own your own experiences of, of obviously being part of, of you know quite outgoing you have your work life you have your social life you have your rowing community and your world essentially contracting made you made you very aware of um, your world contracting had an impact and getting involved with the zoom ergos and the race that and and the race the Thames and then developing your own you know narrated boat tours and frankly I like the idea of them but I'd like to do it in a motorboat so I don't actually have to do any work just throwing that out there if I, could, if I could see the sites without you know anything else um and then what happened in in your village gave you an understanding that that um this is probably happening all over the country and and yes in the last 10 years we've come a long way in talking about mental health but the stigma is still there um and to put it in context and these are just some figures that i've pulled mm. from the the ons and, and the nhs and and various re reputable sources so Essentially, over the last week, um, one in six of us will have had some kind of mental health problem, whether it's anxiety or a panic attack or some kind of developing uh, depression. That figure um, falls to one in four. So more people over the course of a given year will experience a mental health problem. That figure, again, contracts. So one in three of us will experience some form of mental health issue in our lifetime. And the startling thing that, that, that really struck me was 70 to 75 percent of us despite all the work that's being done and all of the conversations that um that have that we've had and all of the the idea that the stigma has been lifted 70 to 75 percent of us will not get treatment for fairly common and fairly treatable mental health issues and those of us who do go for treatment on average will wait between three to six months to receive it now the the human cost of that and obviously in your village, you have a very direct experience and also within your personal, you know, connections, mm. you have a, a direct experience of that. The human cost is incredible because people mm. with untreated mental health problems will, will die 15 to 20 years earlier than those without. When you look at, at, at men, um, age 45 to 49 years has, has the highest age specific suicide rate. There've been increases in the rate of suicides among young adults and children and females under 25 and now the highest rate on record for their age group and mental health problems are it's one of the main disease burdens and that's not a nice way of putting it but they're, they're, they're using it in a clinical mm. context worldwide so this this isn't one or two people having a bit of a time of it this mm. is endemic and it's something that was exacerbated by the pandemic would that be fair yes. to say yes yes and last week um i i found it easier in when i was busy working and everything was going fine for me i honestly hands up i ignored that because it didn't touch me now it touches me and it's like whoa hang on a minute um you start looking into things you realize them the enormity of the problem that i think that's that you know honestly that's what, what i've said and i guess um 
in realising the enormity of the problem and in knowing the potential benefits of rowing and knowing that now a significant proportion of our rowing community are juniors. And we've got NAT scores coming up this weekend. And we know that actually rowing crosses all the way. Even people are 80 on Zoomogos. Should we not be talking about this more regularly than in Mental Health Awareness Week, which was last week? Should we not really challenge ourselves as the wider rowing community and say, we should just like on the physical safety, we should look at what we can do, not what we have to do to tick a few boxes, but what we can do to, to reap the wealth of this and, and know why and make sure our young rowers are prepared and for the people that are going through difficult times that they feel their club is a safe space and that we enable people to get that basic mental health first aid training rather than paying 500 quid and it's just the main so I guess that's where I guess why we're having a conversation um uh, and sort of question I guess I've been questioning myself because yeah. because even though even though we have made strides in this country yes. th those figures indicate that we actually haven't gone far enough and Lewin would it, it, it's one of the one of the things that's like you know you know me I'm I love a bit of statistics and if you if you look at all these again uh, again let's use the technical term the disease burdens mm. a lot of them age specifically have been shrinking but m concerns about mental health and mental ill health those have been increasing and it seems that fairly uniquely in in history this is something that we you know when when infectious diseases were the thing that were attacking us there wasn't a lot that you could do at a community level. It took antibiotics, it took immunization, vaccination. Now, it seems with trying to pr promote mental good health, I, I always like to think of it in the positive terms, like mm. rather than mental ill health. It's like yeah, what yeah, do you yeah. do to help people promote um better mental health uh in in themselves and the people around them it seems as though actually genuinely almost in everyday activities we can do more to help than we have been able to in the, the past with the disease burdens of the past uh, which have very much fallen on health professionals and scientists and so forth we, we've touched on this issue before in the podcast and when we were doing a little bit of research, um, it was something I sent to Aaron. And it was the NHS advice for sort of maintaining good mental health, which was go outside, take regular exercise, meet like-minded people, undertake challenging activities, learn a new skill. <laughs> and it was like, I said to him, it's like, let's go to a rowing club. This is, this is, you're absolutely right. And the, and the, pan, the rowing club is not the panacea for everybody. Um, but, uh, uh, and you have to live relatively near one, but 
yeah, there's a, and I guess that that's what I'm saying is there's a lot of benefits um, around rowing. Yeah, we there's a lot of discussion about oh, it's good, um, but but actually, you know, things do go wrong, and all of us. If you look at one of the British rowing, there's a there's a number of British rowing um, articles that have gone up last week, which are really good, really simple, very clear. Um, but one of them says, yeah, we all have ups and downs. Um, and then on the one hand, there's, 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 yes, just the ups and downs of life and how you can cope with them. And then there's obviously some extreme where, you know, you do need medication or this, there's a history and, and you do need um, professional help. Um, so, but, you know, we all, we all go through ups and downs and sometimes, you know, we need a friend to nudge us to take us down to the rain club just like I needed that nudge to say, come on, can you do the ergo? You know, sometimes in our, we need that paddling partner to say, come on, I need you, Lou, because you need to steer the four. <laughs> so so it, it, you, you, the benefits of rowing are not doing these things in isolation, are they? Um, yeah, and that's kind of the point, isn't it? Because, um, you know, we live in a wonderful 21st century. We have, we, you know, we have the, the knowledge of the world is literally at our fingertips. We could, we, you know, we could look up about Alexander the Great's 2K score right now if we wanted to, even as we did this podcast. We have devices that will connect us with relatives in Australia that we could we can see pictures of the of, of the landing module on Mars, but and we, you know, we we can we can work from home and save the the commute to the office and back and all of these things. But a lot of what we are surrounded by actually stops us having and forming human connections and daily yes. interactions, and they are crucial for mental health. Yeah, they bring they you are. out of yourself and connect with other people. And and just to pick up on that, connecting with other people, and obviously the opposite to that is loneliness. Mm. And that was the theme of the Mental Health Foundation last week, it was loneliness. And the Samaritans, I'm, I'm reading from this now, the Samaritans commissioned a survey um, of 2,000 nationally represented adults from 18th of January to the 20th of January, I think, this year. Um, and the thing that triggered me uh, was... Thinking of the last two years of the pandemic, how far do you agree or disagree with the following? I felt more isolated or lonely during the pandemic where I live. For the 18 to 34 year age group, 42% of them agreed, 29% disagreed. So if we're thinking, and, and if we're thinking of that adult, young adult, university age or college age or working age, Almost half, forty-two percent, is a big proportion felt isolated. And if we know isolation or lack of human contact triggers depression and stuff, that's a that's a big trigger, isn't it? It's a big mass trigger. And then if we look below that, obviously below age six, eighteen, where where actually some early interventions can happen to enable to make sure young young people know how you know, to recognise emotions and how to deal with them. That's obviously not reported on, but the, the point of the Boat of Hope campaign is to raise these conversations, to talk to children, very young children, primary age children, secondary age children, about their feelings. Because by talking about them or by writing them down helps define them. And once you define them and you've acknowledged them, 
you can then deal with them rather than bottling them up. And so that that's the importance of of it. Um, uh, and uh, the Boat of Hope campaign is just starting in June, a, a national secondary schools tour where they're going to take the boat around a number of schools in Merseyside, where I'm from, and, and a few other schools, and use the boat as a vehicle, as, as something to talk about what children feel about their emotions. So, Lewin, again, I'm leaping in, and you can you can thump me for it later. It's all right. I'm big enough to take it. Um, you've mentioned the boat of hope a few times. We've talked about your specific journey. We've talked about the wider context of, of what is yeah. essentially, you know, um, endemic mental health. You know, rising mental health issues in Britain. We've talked. We're talking about the need for greater emotional education and emotional literacy. Emotional literacy, yeah. definitely. Could you could you talk us through? what the boat of hope is and about a little bit about bernie's story about why it came into being and why it's so important because as we've said we have made strides but when you look at actually the 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 increasing numbers it's clear we need to not stop taking strides and start running yeah yeah so the boat of hope uh, was formed it's basically Bernie Hollywood is undertaking the Tally, Talisca Whiskey Challenge starting in December this year, December 2022, along with lots of other people. But he's using this as a vehicle to open conversations with young people using the creative arts, um, with song and music and art work and practical things to um, open up the conversation with young people, primary school age and secondary school age about their emotions about their well-being what what does depression look like for them what does joy look like for them and his boat and it's it's sort of over halfway through a sort of two-year campaign here now and you'll see on any of the photographs of his boat of hope artworks submitted by children by people that have had um children sort of um lost through suicide or other projects that have connected as part of this campaign and during april for example part of this awareness um he pulled his boat at the remy base in lynham every day he he pulled that boat and different people joined him and I had the privilege with my husband to to go on day 28 and we pulled the boat a few miles and in pulling that boat we were able to have various conversations and it was clear that actually that boat by having a thing um to talk about by looking at other people's artwork about what it meant to them it was a it's a really good focus really it really helps open conversations in a very gentle way so that's what it's for it is he is not doing it to be the quickest across the ocean um or anything like that obviously there's a lot of preparation and he's in the north sea at the moment um doing his trials but his fundamental goal and all of the people working with him parent pay and um his media team and a wonderful um, book writer, uh, Natalie Reeves-Billing, all of theirs is about opening that conversation, destigmatizing it, if you like, um, 
And instead of us feeling uncomfortable, if somebody says, hey, or if you call me up, Aaron, and say, look, I'm really feeling a bit rough. Can can I just talk to somebody? That, that I would be happy just to listen. I'm not a medical person. I can't do that. But if if that is something that, you know, we can be there for each other as adults and therefore be there for our children, and you've got children, how to how to listen to them how to draw out their conversations about what they're worried about and how that can be overcome and if that is the only legacy we can give to our children isn't that a good one so that's what it's about it's opening the conversation um and um and and by opening that conversation helping people talk it's amazing what people will share once you've given them permission that this is a safe conversation and it's it's important because we've talked about obviously suicide is a, is you know it, it has a devastating impact on men. It's rising in younger people. It's rising in young women. But but a lot of the problems that manifest in later adult life are, are issues that develop in childhood. And yes, if, if you look at a lot of the. Um, the studies that have been done in clinical psychology and in social work, um, you know, which I've I've read through as a as a, a parent and also as an academic, if you can intervene at the right time, you can stop a lot of these things developing into something, um, yes. you know, far worse later later in 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 life. Um, because when you're when you're little. And you have big emotions, but you don't have the emotional literacy. Or, or you, you're very clever, but you're having big emotions and you don't know how to process them. Or you have issues that are happening at home. And there are some truly horrifying statistics in the UK. If you look at the you know the the average number of children in any given classroom who will have um, seen parents either being abusive or violent uh, towards each other or their children, parents with alcohol and drug issues instances of, of of bullying and i'm just pulling some um mm. some some numbers off off the cdc and, and the ons here but between three and 17 years uh, over the last four or five years the average um so there's the average is nine to ten percent for adhd diagnoses these are things that have been diagnosed so there's, mm. probably, a, there's probably a wider pool be, behind that where they're not diagnosed approximately 10 percent of children will have some form of anxiety in the uk um, 9% have reported or been diagnosed with um, behavioral issues that, 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 are, that are linked to mental health issues. Approximately 4 to 6% have been formally diagnosed with depression. And when you get one of those things, you tend to get another one. So if you have depression, mm-hmm. um, three in four children with depression will also have anxiety it's an over 75 percent you know diet diagnosis rate and one in, and one in two of those will have further behavioral issues um children who have anxiety what about one in three will probably have depression or a similar thing mm. as well and what we're doing here by not addressing it at a very early age um is we are storing up the next generation of mental health issues, which will then, which will then impact on on the individual, um, which is horrific for them, and also socially. And I'm not, I'm not knocking teachers. I come from a family of teachers. I can't knock teachers because Lewin is a teacher, and he will knock me. 
But the reality is that when you are, when you're doing your lesson plans and you're planning your learning outcomes and you're doing your marking, you're doing your admin, you're rushing to your meeting, and then you still got to go home and be a mum or a dad mm. or a partner or a parent as well. And a lot of the mental health services in the UK are massively stretched. If adults are waiting three to six months just to be referred to talk to someone initially, some schools have nurses, some school, you know, primary schools and, and um, middle schools before secondary might have a school nurse, but they're a school nurse and they'll do the best that they can, but these aren't their areas of expertise and getting a specialist in is beyond the budget or it has to be done privately or through the NHS. And I don't want to, to, to touch on it if, if, you know, you'd rather that Bernie talked about it directly. His, his actual, his motivation is very, very, per because he's very personal yes. in this. Yes. We have to be able to do more than this. You Absolutely. And I know, um, obviously, rowing starts perhaps partway through that. You know, obviously, don't really recommend rowers for, I think it's about 11. It's probably the earliest stage. Get them on the earth. Get don't, them on the earth. But, but I think if I can just pick up, all these statistics are real people. Yeah. And all those real people may or may not be people we know. And when you're rowing with people, you don't really know. You don't really want to judge them. But this is the point of love rowing, I think. It isn't about, it isn't really about getting the next Olympians. It's about opening the door for rowing, which we know is a good thing to do, if it's possible, to, pe to, to kids who are from underprivileged backgrounds, um, and last last week it was I spoke to one of the projects that Love Rowing supporting the Gorse Academy, amazing kids. And uh, we spoke a bit earlier about the ice cream. What's the value of an ice cream? Well, yeah. the value of an ice cream is is after your little outing, your first ever outing. It's it's um it's a way of opening the conversation with your mum. Oh, I went rowing. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I showed my friend how to row. It's a time of just dwelling with the other kids, uh, you know, after the row and just absorbing that wonderful experience. So, so the work that Love's Rowing is doing to try and help, help people that are not from a normal rowing tradition to have a go, open the door. All it is, is that like that opening the door, that nudge factor that I got on my Zumogo. That's what we're trying to do. So, and I don't think the message is getting across so as much as it could be to say this isn't about getting people a bit of another sport. It's potentially about helping them really benefit their life for future. And, and I think we need to up the game, up the ante on the connection between rowing, especially for younger people and helping them with their team building, helping them with life skills. And I think that's something what London Youth Rowing's doing. There's lots of initiatives now. There's Warrington Youth Rowing, I think. There's the Leeds Academy. There's lots, but it, it, it costs money. And as the rowing community, you know, we, we know the value of it because we're still in the sport. Um, but, but we just need to give these people a bit of a, help in hand just to help them get going and and also to help give them the ammunition of why it's important give them give them the connections between um 
sport or outdoor activity and these wider benefits, I think. I think that is something that uh, most of all, more than anything that I really hope that we can, we can stress in this episode of the pod is that there are obviously the sporting benefits and the health benefits that come from running, but there are, there is a, there are wider benefits of being part of a rowing club. And we're completely biased, but it's not just rowing clubs, it's cycling clubs and football clubs and rugby clubs. Yeah. Any, any sort of sporting. And again, it's about the connection. It's about the network it's about, I think, developing a transcendent meaning and purpose in your life outside of that thing which you just need to survive. It's not your job. It's mm. not your family. It is, uh, I, I think, Aaron, you, you, you've written about this somewhere. It's, 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 a, it's not a physical third space. It's an emotional third mm. space. Yeah. And, and for some, developing and just- that is so important. Yeah, and for some people, it is a physical third space. For some people, for some people, pre and, and I think people didn't realise it until lockdown happened. Um, for some people, their club is their third space physically as well as emotionally. And when I've been doing the virtual ergos, I think it was Chester, Chester Regatta I did one, and looking at the local sponsors that helped, looking at the three four five generations of people little ones and grandparents all involved in this thing it's it's a whole ecosystem of community and sometimes people we might want to share something intimate is actually a stranger or somebody a little bit removed from our direct family and uh, and um so that you can almost get it off your chest or and there's times that I've been stood on control commission as a head event and somebody's come along and I said and they've said oh when when is such and such a club racing and I look at the list and saying okay it should be about another 10 minutes they'll share their story of why that it's their daughter this rowing thing has changed her daughter's life you know and because you're there I'm not going anywhere. I sat there watching. Um, you're almost there as a sounding board, as a, a recipient of something. And because they're there, they want to share how proud they are of their daughter or son or whatever. Um, so the value of rowing isn't just about the club. It's about the events. It's about these things that happen. And I'm not sure that we you know it's hard to put a money value on but there's definitely a thing i've had people that have said look i was i've just had a heart attack or i've had a hip replacement and it's like right okay <laughs> and when you're in the law umpire launch with an umpire and i said oh how, how you know you're going to be there together for two hours and they say well actually i've had a really hard time i've been made redundant and stuff and you think okay and you're there listening and it's like well what about all the other people <laughs> about all the other people you know are we are we okay to share that um and the 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 value of row the rowing ecosystem we'll call it an ecosystem because it isn't just one thing is something more than 
just your membership fee or whatever, or just a sport. I don't think rowing is actually can be limited by the word sport, really. Um, and so, uh, so that's one thing. And then the second thing is every single one of us has a tiny little drop of a, a role to play. Yes. Rather than think it's somebody else's problem. And so, um, and because actually one day I might need that, or in fact, I've benefited from that, and one day I might need that. So it's like, how can we destigmatize this conversation so we can get the best out of rowing as an ecosystem and therefore help more people, help ourselves actually? Because we don't know what's going to happen. You know, we name drop shamelessly on this podcast, despite the Olympians who've been on. If you stopped them in the street, would go who? Don't remember talking to them. Um, Lewin, Jack Beaumont, talked very openly, I think, about when he was a teenager, and I think his his parents were separating. His yes. his club became his his home. It became his 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 safe space. He. I'm not suggesting that his parents' separation was acrimonious, but even when it's as amicable as it can possibly be, it has a massive impact upon children of, of any age and young adults of, of any age. And he would go down there because he knew that he would be welcomed, he'd be part of the community, he'd be part of his, you know, of his tribe, which he kind of identified with. And it became his emotional and physical third space. And he, he talked very candidly about how important that was for him at that point in his life. And that's one of the reasons he is despite being an Olympian and a silver medalist and a, a thoroughly nice chap, he is a dedicated club man because he recognises what a club can actually bring mm. to its members and to its community. Andy Hodge and London Youth Rowing are doing great things. I love the way they've reframed rowing as life skills, purpose, um, problem solving, team building, all of those things. But we can't, we can't wait for London Youth Rowing to kind of get round to every club in the country so i guess my question would be seeing as we have a network of clubs big and small you know throughout the country what would you like to see happen in terms of moving this forward and opening up this conversation because sometimes just listening is enough when you're in the launch and someone has a chat and sometimes you know someone just wants to talk to be heard and that will make them feel better but sometimes there might need to be a point of contact or an intervention or a signpost to uh, you know someone else who can help well i think there's i mean there's a number of really simple things i think it'd be really good if anybody listens to this podcast to actually tweet or just just let us know you're there and and actually just see if other people are thinking the same you know sometimes you read letters in the telegraph or the newspaper and you think oh i'm not the only person thinking that so i think the first thing I think we can all do is just sort of be more open about talking about this, uh, destigmatizing it. Um, there's the, one of the Boat of Hope partners is uh, called Chasing the Stigma. And um, there's an app called the Hub of Hope app, which I've got on my phone. And that you can, there's this quick phone number to the Samaritans. So everybody should just download that app. And also if, there's, there's so many voluntary services. And if you are in a situation that you need to help somebody, the, the, it's an index. It's almost like an app index to, to lots of things. So that's an easy thing. Free doesn't cost anything. Um, I think also um, read the British rowing articles that have just gone up last week. 
um, and just just start talking about it. Start start thinking in your club how could you know what what are your particular issues there are some posters by another company i think on the website but maybe we should create our own you know in like paddling partners or our own poster that's relevant for rowers maybe we should have an artistic competition or something and get some of the juniors to create those posters to say what what are the things um you know something like are you worried about something um, we've got we've already got this network of safety advisors and club welfare officers. So it's not a big extension to say, you know, give get some basic training, basic mental health training available to any any of us, frankly. So, so as well as everything that's happening, it could be and it you know, if Mark Davis from British Rowing is still listening to us, and after our, after our last <laughs> podcast, it's highly unlikely that he is, um, some kind of national campaign so that in the middle of every every notice board, and every club has one, there, there is a poster that, that has signposting for mental health within the club at a local level and also at a national level, Samaritans, yeah. Calm, you know, all of those sort of things. It could be as simple as that. It could be as simple as that. You know, it, it could absolutely. And in fact, I was talking to um, uh, Sally Corrin, the director of Love Rowing. I said, you know, we, we've obviously got the big row going on, which is the fundraiser for Love Rowing. And yes, there's some amazing initiatives. But what about all our grassroots clubs, school clubs? We're talking school clubs as well as university clubs, as well as club clubs. And it's like there's a lot there. Um, so what, what what if we just had a simple poster? And she said, yeah, that's fine. So I'm going to talk to her tomorrow. We're going to talk to her in that schools. I, I might do a challenge on the rowing ergo if I get a shift off my umpiring and do that 100 metres. I couldn't do that last year. So I think, hey, you know, design your own poster. But I think, I think having a poster, having something visual that says it's okay to talk to this person or if you're you know it could be as simple as actually i'm really depressed because i've not made that boat i've not been selected and let's face it there are downsides of being involved in the rain club but actually instead of harboring that and feeling better and not sleeping about it actually being able to share that offload that so i think a poster is a really simple thing and i'm i've challenged sally so we'll make something happen but but I think it's for all of us to say we can all do something local and the best people to know about the local environment is the local club people. It's all very, it's like the same with the government. It's not very well, okay, it's the NHS, but actually we are all citizens in this in the UK. What little thing can we do? And it could be as simple as just making ourselves aware of the facilities available to be that listening person to help guide that way because frankly speaking when you're stressed whether you've been made redundant or whatever that's that's the time you really need to have all this at fingertips but you really are not in a good shape to start looking from scratch yeah. so if all of us can make ourselves aware of the basic first aid it means that when we need it or our colleagues need it it's brilliant and and i think jack's now working for a um, an organisation um, that deals with employee assistance programmes, that sort of thing. Um, and hand up when I was working, you know, I had access to employee assistance programme. It's only 
And I remember after my father passed away, we were driving up to see my mum and I, and I thought, people have told me I need to ring this number. So I rang it and I said, look, I don't know why I'm calling you, but I've just lost my dad and I think I might need you in the future. Can I get a number? And because I was in shock, I was still in shock. So I think all of us can be informed. All of us can be that buddy at a time of need. And hopefully then we can help each other. It might be, um, sorry, Luan, I don't mean to quit. I, I do it so much. It's a wonder you haven't, you know, beaten me up yet. Um, if we visualize a map of the UK and we, we almost highlight all of its rivers, they, they spread out across the entire UK. It's, yeah. not, it's not a great conceptual leap to imagine all of the clubs at all of the various points on those rivers, if everyone did some of the things that we are talking about and put this into action, those rivers then become a safety net over, yeah. the, over the entire country. Hey, you know, we could we could set up a, a competition, an art competition over the summer or the winter so that we don't just have some corporate design poster. It's like, this is from the juniors at that club. Hey, Lou, you know, talk to your rowers at your schools or, or whatever. But, but, you know, kids are creative. And that's what I've really learned about the Boat of Hope campaign is invite children to participate, invite young people to think, give them a structure, give them a blank bit of paper and say, what does hope mean to you? They did that recently. Why, why does, why, what do you love about rowing? Get, let's get, let's get the kids involved, get the young people involved, get the university people involved to create their posters rather than have some idyllic thing. Um, so that was one and loads of ideas, but I mean, just making one or two things happen this next year while Bernie's on his um, Atlantic row would be great. There we go. Now, I, I am aware that we did say that we weren't going to keep you up too late. <laughs> and 11 o'clock is like three minutes away. So I, I think that's probably actually a pretty good place to leave it. And to actually say, there's an idea. There's an if, idea. If every club <laughs> in the country can see themselves as part of a greater safety net, as a node in mm. that safety net just kind of extend that little extra bit of space support and the and support to all their members and the greater network around them yeah i mean i'll i'll, uh, I'll challenge them i'll talk about it in that school see what we can come up with but yeah let, let, let's engage with the rowing community um, and let's see what wonderful creativity our young rowers can, and their mums, amazing cake baking, amazing, you know, the mums and the parents and all these people that support our rowing community. Some of us dads have amazing cake skills as well. I just and like those ice cream. <laughs> we need to get your ice cream post there. We need to do that. I'll have to, I'll have to ask daughter's... my daughter. I'll have to ask my daughter. She she might want to license it to you. Uh, you know, she she you have her people talk to your people. <laughs> no, that's that's wonderful. Hey, thank you very much. And uh, we, as I uh, thank you for this opportunity. And this is National Conversation Week this week. And um, what a great conversation! And being able to ask inquisitive questions that. Um, give people permission to share things is really important. I think we all have that gift.
doesn't cost anything. Ladies and gentlemen, yeah. <laughs> Judith Packer, quite wonderful. Well, and thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank you very much. And uh, thank, you. thank you for all you do as well.